What's up, guys? So happy to see you with an introduction like that. Holy Spirit's got to come through. This is uh, pretty much our youth Sunday because HB and I both serve in the youth ministry. Um, and so transition and preaching, it's super awesome to be able to do this together. You might be single, but you're not alone. You might be single, but you are not alone. Today, tonight, what we're going to be talking about is singleness. Uh, we've had this series going on for the past few weeks talking about love. Pastor Corey set up, what is love? He set up this beautiful exposition, this beautiful framework on what this series is really going to be about, and not what have we made love to be, but what is love actually. He set it up beautifully for us. Pastor AJ spoke about marriage and what does that mean for us, and no matter where you find yourself today, I want you to know that each one of these messages is not just for the person in that season, but for everybody. That you can find something, something beautiful out of God's word, no matter what season that you're in. So if you're a single person, I want you to get something out of this. If you're a married person, I want you to get something out of this. If it's not for you now, maybe it's for you later. And if it's not for you at all, maybe it's, it's for you to share with somebody in the future. We have been talking about relationships, talking about love, and in this whole idea of relationships and love and marriage and singleness, and next week we're going to be talking about a different aspect of love and how we can explore that, I really want us to go to somebody who really had a really good grasp on what love and relationships and marriage was all about, and that's Paul. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 has really laid out a beautiful example for us on what does it mean to have a good godly marriage. He's laid it out in Ephesians, he's laying it out here in Corinthians, and we have a really nice framework to work with and what that means for us. And if you're like me, you can look around the world and see that we now in culture today in Western Christianity need guidance on relationships now more than ever before. We have so many resources for relationships. We have books and seminars, TV shows, reality shows, movies, anything you can imagine. And yet we are still drowning in a sea of love. We see it everywhere. It's, it's romanticized. It's politicized. It's everywhere that you look. And yet we're failing we don't have a good grasp on what love is, what love should be. We've actually molded love to be what we want it to be, more like clay than pottery. We're kind of fixing it into whatever form that we want it to take in our personal lives. And dare I say, if it goes against what I believe, you believe, then maybe you could just have yours and I'll have mine. There's no true love. There's no real love. Love is love. And we need to be able to stand on something concrete because you can look around today and you don't need me to tell you this, that whatever we're doing is not working. That we've been struggling to say the least and drowning, actually. We're drowning in love. And today, what I want to say is this is our midweek refresh. I'm not here to yell at you. I'm not here to condemn us. I want us to get a biblical, godly perspective on singleness. I'm not here to give you my opinion. I'm not here to give you cliches. I'm not here to try and make you feel better on the inside. I'm here to give you a truth of scripture and what the Bible says for our relationships. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Um, if you're thinking you've probably read this verse and you're probably like, man, I don't want to hear this verse again. I've probably heard this verse a bunch of times, right? But it's so helpful and I really think it's going to move us forward in what God wants us to to do. We know that relationships are important, but we're struggling more than ever. It's, 
it, it's kind of like we're, we're good at recognizing value, but bad at discerning direction. Where like anybody could tell you that it's important relationship and love, right? That's why there are two sides. That's why there's this and that. But we're bad at deciding and discerning which way to actually go. And the Bible gives a clear explanation on where we should go. Today in America, we're getting married less, married later, and they aren't lasting. We're a generation full of promises of love that amount to a whole lot of heartbreak. And I was looking up some stats, and it was actually telling me that over 50% of people in, West, in, in the United States by the age of 30 have had three or more heartbreaks. So that means that I'm talking to a bunch of people who've probably had their heart broken. And if you haven't, then maybe you know somebody who has. And I want us to dive in the first Corinthians chapter seven, verse seven, to see what the Bible says about this. It says, Paul speaking, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. I want to title this message, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the gift of grace. As you chose us, loved us, forgave us when you didn't have to, but you chose to. Would you open our eyes and our ears to see and hear everything that you want to speak? Holy Spirit, speak through me. Open our hearts to know your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. There is a show um, that is objectively the best show of all time. It's called Friday Night Lights. And if you disagree, it's all right, but you're wrong. Everybody has their own opinions. That's fine. You don't have to agree with me. But for the sake of this uh, uh, conversation in this sermon, we're going to talk about clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. When we're talking about this whole story of clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, it's, it's uh, 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 Friday Night Lights, a story of a football team a high school Texas football team, and they had drama, they had uh, scandals, they had championships, they had wins and losses, success and defeat, crime. This show was amazing. And one thing that I loved about this show, aside from the characters, aside from the stories, is one of their mottos in the show, as they're about to go through the tunnel, Texas football, giant stadium, is the coach. They had a, a Panthers football, right? They slapped the P, and as they were about to exit the tunnel, the coach would say, clear eyes, full hearts, and the whole team would shout, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. The reason I want to title the message that tonight is because we need a right perspective, a right heart, and a right win, a right goal to understand what we're supposed to be as singles now. I want to talk about our clear eyes, full hearts, and hopefully understanding that at the end of this message that we know that we can't lose. Clear eyes, a different perspective. And it's interesting because Paul had a different perspective of marriage and of singleness than probably we have today. Because in reality, I really think that Paul would probably disagree with most of what Western Christianity has made marriage and singleness to be nowadays. Why? Because we've elevated marriage above singleness. We've made it better. That, that if you are not married, why is there something wrong? Do you not want 
What's, we, we, we've, we've created this different structure, this status of if you're married, good, and if you're not, then you're probably on your way, right? You're probably looking, or maybe you just haven't found the right praise. Is there something, is it, what, I don't understand, honey, what's going on? You, you don't want to talk to your family at Thanksgiving or at Christmas because they're always going to ask you the question. And we've had this understanding of marriage is better than singleness, but if you read 1 Corinthians 7, we do not get that idea or that truth from Paul at all. That Paul is actually saying in this verse, I wish that you were like I am. And we can't go into it specifically, but Paul at this point, at least at this point in his life, was not married. He might have been in the past, but at this point is not married. We don't know what might have happened to his wife. But for Paul, in the position that he was in, that we know from Philippians, we understand that he probably could have, might have actually been married. And so when he was at this point in his life, he's saying that he is single, talking to widows, people who aren't married, and also talking to people who are married, and saying, I wish that you were as I am. He has a different perspective. And our perspective of elevating marriage over singleness has had devastating effects because we are actually now saying that you are not as good as you could be if you are not married. And Paul lays it out beautifully because in this verse, he says that one has been given a gift, one and one to another. And we're going to talk about these gifts. Clear eyes. Having the right perspective. Having the right perspective of singleness is so important because when you're in something, it's almost like you can't see it clearly, if you know what I mean. Like, like it's your nose in front of your face that because it's here, it's almost like, oh, I'm just so used to it. This is just what it is. But as soon as you zoom out, you realize that there's actually a different perspective that could take place. We need the right perspective on relationships so that we can have the right outcome on relationships. I think it's so interesting that Oftentimes, we try and make relationships what we want them to be, and we never even consult God on what he meant for them to be. We just, whatever I feel, whoever I feel, whatever, whoever I love, whatever I want, this, this innate desire to follow my heart, like Pastor Corey was talking about, this is like just following your heart, doing what you feel, and it's leading us into broken relationships, less relationships, and relationships that aren't lasting, And we can't keep following this method. And Paul has this perspective that we need to grab before we move forward. One of the first things he says that sticks out that some of us probably disagree with is that each has his own gift from God. Yes, singleness is a gift. Most of us would disagree with that. And we would say, if it's a gift, I want to return it. I don't want it. Get it away. I would much rather have their gift than this. If there are only two gifts, marriage and singleness, no thank you and yes, please. We don't want the gift of singleness. And yet, Paul calls it a gift. And Paul isn't impartial here. He's speaking and saying that we need to understand what he understands, what he's gathering from God. And and Paul's not against marriage or against singleness. We know that Paul gave this beautiful representation that marriage is Christ in the church. And we see that it's beautiful. And now we're seeing that Paul is saying that singleness is also a gift. And if we don't see it as a gift, we're not going to treat it like a gift. And, And... A gift is not a gift because it was received. A gift is a gift because it was given. We've been given singleness. Whether you want to receive it or not, you have been given a gift. And now what you do with it will result how it's expressed in your life. Singleness 
is a gift. It was a gift because it was given. And, and we probably more so think that we're suffering from singleness rather than we're living in singleness. That this is something we want to get rid of like a disease, but we need to pray that we see it like God sees it because a gift from God is a gift for God. If God has been given it to us, then we need now to see what does he want us to do with it rather than what do we just want to do with it. We need to live our lives in a way where our singleness, us being not married, is so used up that by the time we get into a relationship, by the time we get married, that we have used all that God has given us. That gift has been used up and not just tossed to the side. You ever got a gift for Christmas that you really didn't want and it just gathered dust for a few years and you realize, yeah, like it was good in the moment or maybe I thought it or maybe it was a, had a good season this time. But you come back years later or months later or weeks later and you realize that actually at the end of the day, it wasn't something that you really cherished or used I think some of us can see singleness that way, is that it's something that we got, we didn't really use, we put it off to the side and kind of just did our own thing for a while and then looked back years later and said, oh, I never even really touched that thing. And you might be saying, well, what do you mean you never really touched thing, you never used it? Well, if a gift is given, a gift needs to be used. And we need to use the gift of singleness that God has given us for the reason that God has given it. We need to use this gift of singleness. And Paul says later in the letter that women and men who are married actually have a split focus because they want to please their spouse, but they also want to please God. But one of the gifts of singleness is that we actually, our whole focus can be on God. Our entire focus, that there's not something else that we have to take care of in our lives, specifically according to a spouse or maybe children, but we can completely focus on God's purpose for our lives. And what this tells me is that each gift actually comes with its own grace. That each gift comes with its own grace. What does that mean? It means that we need to see this like God sees it. And, and one of the, 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 the craziest things that I found out from this passage in seeing what God wants us to see with clear eyes is that the same word that Paul uses for gift here in 1 Corinthians 7 is charisma. You have to, it's like that, uh, that little like, right? That's charisma. And it's the word where we get charisma from, right? And it's the same word that Paul actually uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you've been reading your Bible, you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is what? Spiritual gifts, right? That Paul's talking about what God has given us to use for his glory, for his kingdom, for God's glory, and for our good, that God has given us this gift. And this is the same word that Paul is using in 1 Corinthians 7. What does that tell me? It tells me that if God has given us that same gift, it takes faith to use spiritual gifts. So what does that tell me? It takes faith to be single. That it, it, it can't just be a go with the flow. I'll see what happens until I get married. But it actually takes faith to be single in the same way where it takes faith to be married. Some of us have the faith to be married, but we don't have the faith to be single. I believe God's going to bring me a spouse. I believe that God's going to get me married. I believe that it's coming. This is just the season that I'm in. God's preparing me for what's ahead. And we're always, our faith is always forward. Our faith is always for God will show his goodness to me in that I will be married. And what if God is actually saying that what you're in right now is the gift? 
What you're in right now is where it requires faith. You actually need faith to live and to use this gift that I've given you because this charisma, this, this charisma, this gift that God has given you is not just for you to meander until you get to the real gift, but it's actually to live in faith for what you have right now. The Holy Spirit needs to empower us to be single in the same way that he needs to empower us to be married. It's the, it's, the, it's the same grace that God needs to give us. It's the grace that comes with the gift. And, and when we see this, we see that um, marriage is like, oh, it's, it's the relationship between Christ and the church. It's like sanctification. It's, it's a, a, a service and leadership and, 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 and companionship and all these beautiful things that we get in the Bible. And we look at singleness and, and we kind of view it selfishly, if we're being honest. That we take it as like this, this, it's about me and it's about what I can do, but we don't point it outward like we do with marriage. We point it inward. We say, well, what's in it for me? What can, what can I get? And I think about this gift that God has given us in singleness, and I'm thinking, why aren't we staying up all night praying? When we don't have all these other things distracting us, like Paul is saying, why aren't we giving way more than we ought to give? When I think about this gift that God has given us, why aren't we taking in people who don't have a home? When I think about this gift of singleness and all of the freedoms that it gives us, why aren't we taking more classes? Why aren't we reading our Bibles till the pages fall off? Why aren't we attending small group regularly? Why aren't we fasting all the time? Why aren't we giving our time freely? Why aren't we living selflessly instead of selfishly? Because oftentimes, singleness actually equates to selfishness. Because it's all about, well, when can I get what I feel like I'm owed, what I'm deserved, what I've worked for? I've, got to be, I've been a really good Christian. Doesn't that mean that you're going to give me some? And yet God is saying there's a gift that's been given, and it's not for you. It's actually for his glory. How can we be single for God's glory? Maybe the reason that we have such an issue being single is because we've been trying to walk in God's will in our strength. That there is a purpose and a grace for singleness, and yet we've been trying to dismiss it, get rid of it for as long as we can. And we're trying to release the gift that God has given us, walk in a different grace than God has prepared us for in this season. And we end up walking in a different grace and using our own strength for God's purpose. We need to see it rightly. We need to see God's perspective so we can have clear eyes, which leads into full hearts. Relationships fail oftentimes because we treat others like we treat God. And what do I mean by that? It, I, I mean that... We can hand a broken, half-full, destroyed, mangled, baggage-filled heart to God, and he will receive it with open arms and say, man, I'm so happy you brought this to me. You don't have to come perfect. You come as you are. You don't have to do anything else. I will accept you exactly as you are. And oftentimes, we actually attribute that to a significant other. And we bring a broken, dismantled, baggage-filled, unresolved, unreconciled, half-full, unsatisfied love and heart to somebody else and say, hey, fix me. Hey, this, this, is, this, is, this is my brokenness and this is my, I'm bleeding and just give me a hug. 
It's like we, we, we try and engage with somebody while we're still wounded. And because we do that, we start destroying relationships. And we start getting in things that we should never be in because we're going into things with half full hearts. We're not there. We, we want to be there. We have clear eyes to see it. We have the prize. We have the gift. God, I'm going to be married by this age and live here with this kids. And I want this. And we have this view. Or maybe we even have a right view of singleness. And we say, God, I'm going to see it. And I see that you're giving me a season. And I see that I'm, I, I'm here right now. And I understand that, that marriage is good and singleness is good. And it's a gift. And it's a gift. And I understand. And then we still try to get in a relationship with our hearts being half full. And we end up destroying the relationships that we actually end up getting into. It's, it's, it's devastating. Because we don't have full hearts. And what I'm not saying is, oh, be perfect and then get in a relationship. I'm not saying that. I'm saying be content and then get in a relationship. I'm saying being satisfied in God and then get in a relationship. I'm saying be fulfilled in who God has made you to be without waiting for somebody else to complete you, your other half, before you get in a relationship. I'm saying we need a full heart in Christ if we want to honor Christ in our relationship. Or else we're just waiting for somebody else to fill the other half of our cup. And that sounds really romantic. It, it does. Like, I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, that doesn't sound great. Yeah, I'm going to find somebody and they're going to they're gonna completely physically satisfy me and mentally stimulate me. And they're going to push me towards my dreams. And they're always going to love me. And they're, they're going to prioritize me all the time, 100% of the time without fail. And, and, and I'm going to feel so cherished. And they're never going to want anything else except to just sit with me and watch movies and rub my feet. And I, I, that sounds great. I, like, I would love that for you, and I just don't think it's going to happen. Just being honest. And, and, and what we do is that we set these unrealistic expectations with half hearts, saying, God, I'm satisfied in you, but I want to be really satisfied in them. And we, 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 we mix up what it means to have a full heart in Christ. And we end up bringing a half heart to somebody else. Our issue is that we look for them to fill every tank rather than to enlarge our tank. We look for somebody else to fill every tank in our lives rather than just enlarge the tanks in our lives. So what do I mean? I mean that when we're married, what's this for sanctification, Christ and the church, we're supposed to lift each other up, companionship, all these beautiful things that God has ordained it to be. And it's this commitment of love. And what happens is that we actually get better by being married because we see this person who is, is living with us and, and pointing on our flaws and helping us grow into who God is meant for us to be, this helper or this leader. And it's beautiful and we have this truth in, 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 in Ephesians and in, in Genesis, and we understand that. And, and sometimes we end up saying, can you fill what's empty in me instead of enlarge my capacity? And, and what a spouse is not meant to do is to fill you. Christ is supposed to fill you. You are supposed to be fulfilled in Christ. And when we come to others with a half full heart, we're going to be bleeding all over them. We're going to be destroying relationships. How do we come and see a full heart and a full, uh, uh, come into a relationship with a full heart? Because the issue is, is when we start placing what I call saving weight in sinful places. 
that I come to people expecting them to save me from my physical deficit, from my emotional needs, from my dreams that I want to be fulfilled, from my desires, from my insecurities and all the baggage, from my past relationships, and I end up putting saving weight on another person, and that person is just a sinner just like me. I put saving weight in sinful places. And the only place, the only place, the only proper place that we can put that saving weight is on Jesus. That's the only place that it's safe. Every other place is, is sinking sand. Every other place is romanticized by our country and by your friends and by movies and by books and by social media. And, and we start placing saving weight on places that could never and will never hold you. And we start sinking in relationships, drowning in relationships, drowning in love, seemingly love and wondering. And then we start getting... Uh, broken on the inside, say, man, I'll never love again. I'm never going to date again. I've seen what it did to my parents. I saw what it did to my friend. And I'm just, I'm just closed off. And our hearts are no longer full, but they're closed. And Christ is asking us to, 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 to have a full heart before we get into relationship. Not to be perfect, but to be satisfied in Christ. If your heart isn't full before a relationship, it won't be full because of a relationship. It just won't happen. That's a sinful place that you're looking for saving power. The safest place for your heart to be is in the hands of the one that created it. That's the safest place. That's the the only right place for your heart to be. And it sounds really romantic to give it to somebody else and to have another half and to do all those things. And it sounds great, but it's really dangerous. And culture might even tell you to keep on doing that, to, to give your heart and, to, and to, to maybe give it to somebody else and find that person who's worthy of holding your heart. And let me tell you, nobody is worthy of holding your heart. They are going to drop it. They are a sinner. They are going to hurt you. And that doesn't mean that we don't engage in relationships. That means that we place our heart in a secure place. And that secure place is in Christ. A secure place where he can hold it safely. Where he knows what to do with it. He knows what you need and what you don't need. He knows what you want and what you don't want. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And for some reason, we think that we have a better plan for our future. And we end up holding our heart. Or worse, we start giving it to another sinner. And we say, well, you hold it. And they hold it and they end up hurting us and breaking us. And it ends up scarring us for the rest of our lives because we didn't have a full heart and we placed it in a sinful place. What this requires is this requires to be, us to be countercultural, to have a full heart. It, 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 it's swimming upstream in the culture that's trying to pull you back, that's trying to encourage us to, 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 to give our hearts freely, to, to make love whatever we want it to be, to, to, to form this idea of what love is for us and what it can be for you, and no standard, no truth, or no uh, bedrock of love. And what this means is that it's going to take courage to be a Christian single. It's going to take courage Why? Because you're doing something different than what everybody else is doing. You're not handing your heart out because it feels nice. You're not looking for somebody else to satisfy every need that you have. You're not waiting for a perfect person. You're not trying to just do whatever you feel is right in the moment, but you're actually setting up your heart in a courageous spot. And the way that we put our heart in a courageous spot is that we take it out of our hands and put it in God's. 
That's how we be courageous with our heart, is that we take it out of our hands and we put it back into God's. It takes courage to give your heart to God. It takes courage to say, God, not what I want, but what you want. Not what I feel is important right now, but what you know is important. It's not about listening to our heart. Actually, the Bible says that we need to question our heart. That heart is deceitfully wicked. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for everything that you do flows from it. It's a wellspring of life. And what this means is that the best way to guard our heart is to give it to the one who can guard it for us. It's to give it to God. That's what it means to have a full heart, to, to give it to God. It says in Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 4, and then 6 through 7, it says this, a beautiful passage. It says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, and jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This is Solomon talking about the, the, the passion and the power of love. And he says in this first verse, one of the most beautiful things that I think is so important for us to see, oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I adjure you not to awaken love before it's time. Why? Because it's so powerful. Why? Because you can't contain it. Why? Because it's going to push you places. It's going to take you places. It's going to grow and it's going to be stronger than what you can manage. And that's actually a safe place for it to be inside the confines of marriage. It's actually a good thing for that. It's, 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 it's the same truth as, as fire is neither good nor bad. It's just a matter of where you place it, right? The fires that happened all last year about the forest fires in Australia or in California, fire in a forest is a really, really bad thing. It can have really, really bad consequences. The fire in a fireplace is a really, really good thing. It's not about the fire. It's about where you place the fire. And fire, where it's not meant to be placed, love out of season is dangerous. Because we're awakening this love before it's time, and we're ending up placing it in dangerous places. We shouldn't awaken it before it's time. And you might be saying, okay, well, that's really good, and that's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Tell us, but my love is wide awake. So if my love is wide awake, what do I do now? Yeah, I, I get it. I should not have awakened love, but now um, I can't put it back to sleep no matter what I do. So what should I do in this moment? And really, I, I think about it. How else do you put anything to sleep? You stop stimulating it. Some of us are saying, oh, well, I'm good. I'm in the season. I don't want to, like, I'm good. I'm satisfied in who God has made me to be. I'm not looking for anybody. You know, I'm, I'm cool being single. I'm not looking for a guy. I'm not looking for a girl. I'm just going to do me. And we are watching every Hallmark movie. We're on Instagram following every relationship that we wish we had. We're reading books after books after books after books. We're actually looking and comparing every other relationship that we see. And we're actually 
keeping our heart wide awake because of conversations and shows and Instagrams and letting our heart run wild even though we say we don't want it to. We're stimulating it over and over again with conversations and shows and Instagram and TV and and everything that we see in media and we're wondering why our heart is so awake. It's because you're, you're keeping it awake. You're stimulating it. And how do we put something back to sleep is that we stop stimulating it. I have these um, blue light blocking glasses that are supposed to help you like fall asleep or not get as many headaches. I don't know if they work, but I wear them anyway. It's like they, they're, they're glasses, they're not prescription, and they let in all light except for blue light. And allegedly blue light keeps you awake and stuff like that. And so <laughs> when you put them on, uh, the world has a little bit of a tint to it, right? And so blue light gets in less, and so you can fall asleep easier. You have less eye strain, the whole thing. And so when I wear them, I'm like, cool, I have this, this, this thing that's blocking certain things from getting in so I can actually sleep better, so I can focus better, right? I don't know if they work. Don't judge me if they don't. I like them anyway. These blue light blocking gas- glasses are actually helping me filter out some of the things that I don't want coming in. And my question for us right now is what do you need to block your heart from letting in? What blue light glasses filter do you need to put on your heart? Do you need to stop following certain people? Do you need to stop having certain conversations? Do you need to stop reading certain books? Do you need to stop watching certain, stop going certain places, stop doing certain things that keep stimulating your heart like blue light into our eyes? What is stimulating your heart that's keeping it awake that is actually causing you more pain than health? We need a full heart. And lastly, can't lose. As the football team in Friday Night Lights would run out of the, the, the tunnel, it was this inspiring speech and understanding that as soon as you heard them say, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, you were like, there's no way they're losing this game. There's no way. They have too much conviction. They know what they're about to do. They know their role. They know where they're about to go. And, and when I see this, I'm like, man, that's what I want to have. I want to have clear eyes. I want to have a full heart. And I want that confidence to run out of the tunnel, into the world, into the culture, and say, I know that I can't lose. How do we do that? Is that we need to measure by a different metric. Sometimes the reason that we think we're losing is because we're measuring wrong. We, we, we have a, a distorted view of what it means to measure rightly. And I want to tell you that you're not losing because you're single. You're not losing. You are not at a deficit. You are not incomplete. You are not longing. You are not unsatisfied. You are not losing because you're single. That is not what this is. And we need the perspective to run out of the tunnel into the world and say, I have a confidence assured by God that I will not lose. But the way that we do that is important because this does not mean, man, forget all men. I don't care. It's just me and my girls. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No boys forever. We're going to live and be roommates and it's going to be great. Like, that's not what this is. It's not pride. We're not defending ourselves by building walls up and saying everyone else out and that's how I'm going to keep myself safe. That's not winning. That's not winning. That's hurting yourself. We are winning. We can't lose because of one thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. And this is the last verse I want to read for us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35, 
I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I understand now that we can either measure our wins and our losses by comparison or by devotion. You can either measure yourself by comparison or by devotion, and one leads to death and one leads to life. Measuring by comparison will always make you feel cheap. Seeing what they have, seeing by that age what happened to them, seeing how they got that guy, seeing how they got that girl. You might want a really godly relationship and you can't find one. You might be looking for something and say, man, like, I, I really want that. But if, 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 I, if I want to win, tell us, I'm going to have to start like changing my standards because my standards are right here. And every guy that I see is like here, maybe here. And I need like some different standards. And you ever heard somebody say, um, um, are my standards too high? Heard somebody say that I think my standards are too high. Usually you hear people say that because they're not in a relationship. They think that people don't want them because of, of what they do or what they don't do, right? And I'm going to tell you, no, that your standards aren't too high. Don't lower your standards. Strengthen your patience. Don't say, oh, because I haven't had anything yet, it's not going to happen. Let me tell you, God has given us a standard for what biblical marriage is supposed to be, and we need to follow that standard and not let impatience get into our soul so that we start lowering those things because we think that maybe the, the, the pick of the litter is getting too slim, that there aren't enough guys out there. There aren't enough girls out there. there no one really is doing life the way that I'm doing it. No one's really uh, pursuing me the way that I want to be pursued. And we end up lowering our standards because we're impatient. And that's not winning. We can't win by comparison. We have to win by devotion. When I was in Mexico, you would go and they would, uh, we were on a missions trip. And uh, they would say, whenever you go to uh, like the shops and whatever, you could try and buy any of the stuff that they made or shirts or things to bring back to your family or whatever. And what they told us, one of the biggest things is bartering, right? So you never go and you never go and pay the first price that they tell you because they're going to tell you, oh yeah, this shirt's $25 when you could really get it for like seven, right? And so you go and you're like, all right, I'm going to say $25. They're like, oh man, I only got 20. They're like, all right, cool. I'll give it to you for 20. Maybe you get two for 18, whatever. It's all about bartering, right? You, you, you see what they have and then you're like, man, no, that's, that's too much. What about this? And we end up like getting all these different deals in Mexico and it's, we, we bring back more than what we thought we could get. And what I've noticed is that evaluating by comparison actually encourages you to negotiate your price. So if you start looking over here and looking over there, every time we would go to somebody who was selling a shirt and over here they would sell the same shirt, I'd be like, I don't know if I have $20. And they start selling it for 10 over here. What would this person do? They would lower their price. Let me tell you, when you see somebody selling something for less than what it's valued for, don't you dare lower your price. Don't you take what you have that you know to be valuable and see that somebody is selling it for a lower price and say, well, I'm not going to sell it if nobody, if it's, if it's at this price, it's too expensive. Nobody wants it at this price and they'll get it over there for less. Let me tell you something. Don't you dare lower your price. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. 
You were bought with a price at the blood of Jesus. And now our bodies are not ours to do what we want to do with. I want this to encourage you to say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to change my standards. I'm going to strengthen my patience. I'm not going to lower my price. I'm going to keep it right exactly where God told me to keep it. Even if everybody and their mom is lowering their price over here, I'm going to believe and have courage that God is actually going to acknowledge, see, he's going to know, and he's going to honor what I do with my body because I'm honoring him before I'm trying to please them. There's an understanding that we need to have and that we can't lose. Don't barter. Don't do it. We were bought with a price. And this is my last point, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's just that in verse 35, is we can't measure by comparison. We have to measure by devotion. Paul literally says in verse 35, I say this to you, not to lay a restraint upon you, uh, um, uh, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul just gave you the secret for why you're single. It's that you can be undividedly devoted to the Lord. That's the reason. Now, there are some other things. Yeah, you have freedom. Yeah, you can do whatever you want with your money. Yeah, you don't have kids. Yeah, you can stay out late. Yeah, you can spend your money how you want. That's great. And all those things are true. Paul also talks about like marriage is a safe place for sex, right? That we, we, we can place it there. And if you burn with passion, it's better to marry. Good, do that. It's a safe place and committed relationship. He talks about all these things. And he says that at the end of the day, the reason why he wants people to be single like he is, is because you have an, you have an undivided devotion to the Lord. You don't have any other worries. You worry about you and God. I know it's a cliche, but whatever. It's me and God right now. And guess what? That's biblical. I'm going to be undividedly devoted to God. Paul just gave you the reason why you're single. So that you can be undividedly devoted to God with your gift, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do something that you couldn't do on your own and that the world is telling you not to do. You need God's grace to use this gift. We can't measure our singleness by comparison. We have to measure it by devotion. We have to have a clear perspective, clear eyes. We have to know how God sees it. We have to have full hearts, know who we are in God, and and be so secured in him that nothing else is relevant. We don't need somebody else to fill up our tank. We just have somebody to enlarge our tank according to his purpose. And we have to know that we have a clear goal, a win in mind that we can't lose. We're running out of this tunnel into the world with a clear motivation, a clear goal, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do something that we couldn't do before and knowing that we were bought with a price, therefore I'm going to honor God with my body. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the gift of grace. God, that you are so good to us. God, I'm asking that we would have a clear understanding of what singleness and marriage and love and relationship means to you. God, we would see it rightly we would know it rightly in our hearts. And through those two things, having a biblical understanding of singleness, a biblical view and a biblical heart understanding, God, that we would walk out of this tunnel into the world with a confidence and a courage that we can't lose. Our success, God, our win is not based on if we get married or if we don't. God, we're choosing to be devoted. 
I'm devoting myself again to you. Some of the, the, the easiest fix to somebody's problem right now is that you need to tell God that you are devoting yourself to him. We need to give God our full attention.